Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod and apologies for background noise. I've got a cocker spaniel who's very keen to get into Andrew's garden to chase foxes, so there might be a bit of scratching at the glass on the patio doors. But hi, welcome. Um, we are in uh, Mark chapter 10. We're looking at three incidents back to back. Jesus teaching about divorce. He's teaching that little children should be welcomed. And then the very sad encounter with a rich young man who looks so promising and then walks away and doesn't follow Jesus. Um, and we thought we'd start, weirdly, at the end of the passage because it's like a window into it. Do you want to kick us off, Andrew? Well, the, there's a very famous verse, verse 27, which is, With man it is impossible. This is a, a response to the question, who can be saved? And Jesus says, well, it's very difficult. In fact, impossible. With man it is impossible. But, and here's the hope, not with God. All things are possible with God. And it is worth just noticing that's at the end of this um, section and kind of gives us a little perspective on how something can be very, very hard and yet still um, possible with divine intervention. And that's a useful thing to notice as we hit the other um, little sections. I mean, in some ways, when this could be a, like a real key verse for a lot of the last few chapters, because this language of possible and not possible... I mean, sometimes it's translated differently in, in the English translation as able or not able. But even when we had the um, the man whose son was possessed by a demon, you know, if you can do anything, Jesus, is literally, if it's possible for you, it's the same word. And Jesus says, if I can, all things are possible for one who has faith. Oh, I do believe, help my unbelief. So even that was about, you can't do it, but God can do it. And if you trust him, then you can. So I think it's a way of reading this chapter, particularly the rich young ruler that says, oh, no one, no one can. But actually, in this passage, some people can't and other people can because God's at work. So with God, it's possible. And um, part of the question that Christians come to this with is, will God have to lower his bar? Um, so discipleship seems very exacting, very difficult. In fact, right back at chapter 8, verse 34, if anyone would come after me, he must deny self, take up his mm. cross and follow me. And that seems very, very, uh, it it's, um, seems an impossible ask. And it's a high bar if you're doing a high jump or it's a very low bar if you're limboing under it. But either way, they just don't seem to clear it. And it's one of the tensions in this section is, is Jesus ultimately going to, at the end of it, say, don't worry, um, that... I was just showing you that I need to, you know, to do it and you can't do it and that's okay. Or is the bar still going to be there and, and Jesus is going to enable us uh, to fulfil it? Um, so basically, just on the, the, the given overview, is it possible, is it not possible? Pharisees, not possible. So they have defined divorce in such a um, liberal way um, they they sort of interpreted it so that there's so much latitude that they clear the bar, but Jesus says, no, you don't clear the bar. So Pharisees, not possible. Little children, possible, they can get in. Rich young ruler, famously impossible. Um, and that's what prompts the question, who then can be saved? But then at the end of the passage, disciples, possible. We've left everything to follow you. Yes, you have. So it's actually about both. Um, and let's go through them in order, but just bear in mind, 
It's not intrinsically impossible. It's just intrinsically impossible for man. Um, when God's involved, something changes. Okay, so it, Jesus versus the Pharisees. And it, it's a bit like previous encounters with them because it's actually exactly the same pattern. They come up with a hostile question. Jesus answers them and then privately in the house gives an extra bit of explanation for the disciples. So we've seen this ever since chapter four with the parables and then chapter seven with the clean, unclean. It's a sort of same old, same old opposition. Yeah. So they, the Pharisees are saying, setting a trap for him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Um, and I guess that was a, a question for the day because Herod... Um, yes, if, of course. If, if you say the wrong thing, you get your head chopped off, John the Baptist found. Um, and into this situation, Jesus doesn't soften the Bible's teaching. In fact, he takes the whole Torah as one and says, well, do you not remember the Torah begins in Genesis? And it begins with God making the male and female. And therefore, verse 7, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Um, Incidentally, I mean, so Jesus sets this out as the absolute foundational teaching on marriage. It's clever how he does it. He says, they ask him a question to trap him. He says, well, what does the Bible say? And they quote from Deuteronomy. And then Jesus says, yeah, read the Bible in context, please. Deuteronomy in the context of Genesis. But I think this is significant because in another debate that we're having at the moment in the Church of England about blessing of same-sex relationships, people say, oh, Jesus never really talked much about, about homosexuality or about sex. And the point is, yes, he did in this paragraph. So he's affirming that God's creational design of male and female in marriage for life is the foundation ethically for the whole thing. And then the other little bits of teaching about divorce or about same-sex relations are all just the sort of icing on the cake of that Genesis. I'm mixing my metaphors now. The Genesis foundation of the cake. Yeah, but for Jesus to set out Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, rather, um, as the foundation for God's plan for sex. Um, I think it's just useful. Yeah. And and what we discover is that on this issue, Jesus isn't lowering the bar. He's saying that faithfulness to God will mean commitment to marriage. And he's, he's not um, softening discipleship. In fact, he's going back to the original call of God in the whole of the Torah, which is um, the creational command. So why then did Moses allow um, divorce? You know, if if, if it's so wrong, I, I, sorry, I think I know the answer I'm just setting you up to say, but like if, if it's so wrong, why does the Bible say it can sometimes be allowed? Yeah, so Jesus says Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce. And uh, in Matthew, he adds, um, well, he, he says actually here, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. So there's a, a sense in which God give up, gives us both his ideal and then he gives, and here's what happens when it goes wrong. And mm. the fact that he gives us um, concession isn't, doesn't, overlap, doesn't trump the fact that he's also told us what is the ideal. I sometimes give the example, which is a more extreme one, but you find laws in the Bible about what to do if somebody's murdered. And that doesn't mean that God thinks it's okay for it to be murdered. He just knows realistically this is a world where sometimes people will be murdered. So you just have to know the next step. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, well, this is a frighteningly high bar then because um, it turns out, I mean, we're in a culture um, with you know very high proportion of marriages end and that would be true in the church as well. And Jesus saying, um, this isn't okay. 
So um, <clears throat> this doesn't mean there's no forgiveness. And I guess some people live it, listening to the podcast will be divorcees and will be thinking, is this the end of the road? But it does mean there's a massive problem of law breaking that is going to need to be dealt with. There's going to need to be forgiveness and atonement for it. Whereas the Pharisees think there's no problem because they've just defined the law so laxly that it's all fine. Um, and then the next section is um, a, a delightful one. Um, I know it well because of a, a Shylin rap about it, but it's, it's about Jesus. Oh, please do the Shylin rap, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll spare you. I couldn't do it. Um, but it's, um, it's about Jesus' attitude to children. And the disciples are um, the meanies and saying, stop bringing these children to Jesus that he might touch and bless them. Um, and Jesus gets angry not with the people bringing children, but with the people who are providing an obstacle to that. And he says, let the children come to me. Um, and then he says, the reason, do not hinder them, for to such as these children belongs the kingdom of God. Um, so it's not just that Jesus likes children, although he really does. Um, it's that um, there's something symbolic in the fact that even the uh, these nobodies... Um, that uh, they are the archetypal believer because they um, they have nothing to offer. So on going back to our key verse that we've decided is the key verse, the possible impossible, <clears throat> with a, a Pharisee can't actually even keep the law because he's defined the law so laxly that he passes it. But Jesus says no, the law standards much higher than that. But here's a child, and they can clear the bar. And it's very easy because, as you say, children can't do complicated things. They just trust you and come to you. And Jesus says, yeah, that's the point. So it's, it's, we've seen both impossible and possible just in the first two episodes. I love the way God's Word teases us like this. And, and there's another place, um, famously, in, in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. And you get almost together the statements are, it could not be harder. You, you have to be born again. That, that it's so hard to be, enter the kingdom or it could not be easier. Just look and live. You know, it's like as hard as it is to look at a bronze snake. That's how he, hard it is to be saved. And you get the, the Bible teases us by by putting two. They're not obviously not literally paradoxical, but the seemingly paradoxical things next to each other and then says, OK, think about this. I did a talk at Bristol University events week last week on will Jesus accept me as I am? And the answer was no. And I think, you know, from John 3, you must be born again. Like, you have, you'd have to be a completely different person for Jesus to accept you, which is then impossible. But it turns out that Jesus can make completely different people out of us. And at the moment, the tension is building because we've got these two seemingly contradictory things. And it's not until we get to verse 27, it really is impossible, but not with God, mm. that we're going to see the route through it. But, yeah, so... Um, OK, so Pharisees impossible children possible and then <clears throat> the rich young man and this is a very well-known passage and I think we both take a probably a different view of it than is often taught so I think I'll, I'll just read I'm um, just remind listeners of the key thing so a man comes up to Jesus kneels before him says good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honour your father and your mother. And he says to Jesus, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him, said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great 
possessions. Now, often this is read as teaching the impossibility of salvation by works. So the man's question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, no, that's wrong, mate. You know, it's not about what you do. It's about what you can receive by grace. And, you know, absolutely, I, you know, we both agree with that. It's a, a very central teaching of the Bible that we're just, in fact, last week's sermon, we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works of the law. So it's the right doctrine, but neither of us think that that's what's going on in this text. <clears throat> um, do you want to say why? Or we'll both say why we come to this unusual position. Yeah, so one of the clues that put, made us uneasy with that reading is that immediately after the with man this is impossible but not with God, Peter says in 28, we have left everything and followed you. And according to this reading, Jesus should say, no, you can't do it, Peter. You, there's no way you can approach me in this way. Um, but he doesn't. Peter, um, Jesus backs up Peter's claim and says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters as you have done, Peter, who will not be rewarded. And so he's he's saying that, um, yes, there was something that was impossible for the rich young man. And yet it is possible because Peter is an example of someone who really has left everything and followed Jesus. So it doesn't seem totally impossible. It just seems impossible at at one level. Hmm. And, you know, if it was so wrong to try to keep commandments, it's very odd that Jesus piles on extra commandments. You know, what must I do? Well, here's some commandments. Um, Yeah, I've done the commandments. Well, here's another commandment. So, I mean, the idea that Jesus is just sort of bluffing to test you whether you realise that you can't clear the bar, it looks like Jesus just giving a frank answer. Yeah, in, to be a member of the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be a law keeper. Um, you have to love God and you have to love your neighbour as yourself. And, you know, is that possible for us to do? You know, can we keep God's law? I guess... No, the standard's very high. Um, this man, the man's problem isn't that he wanted to keep the law, but that he doesn't keep the law, right? He's a lawbreaker. Yeah. And one of the, the things in, in the context that pushes us towards the, the reading we take is that at the head of the section, I think it's chapter 8, 34, Jesus says, um, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And you'll have treasure in heaven. So he says, those who save their life will lose it and those who lose it will um, save it. And it's almost the same thing as he says to the rich young man, go sell all that you have, you will have treasure and come follow me. And So he's just republishing his invitation to all disciples. And if we say he's not serious in this context, then we probably have to go and say, well, Jesus wasn't serious in his initial invitation. And then it... Yeah, I think it's just a difficult way of reading this. Okay, so some people are really nervous now listening to Grace Pod because they're thinking, is it Grace Pod or is it Works Pod? <laughs> you know, it, sound, it sounds like you're saying, or we're both saying, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to keep the law. And I thought, and you know, the Bible says surely that the way you enter the kingdom of God, of God is by grace. So, what do we do about this? Oh, you know, are we now the Pharisees? Are we now the legalists and the, the Galatian heretics and So I think um, there's a few things in the passage which help us. One is, it really is true that um, for to such as these children belongs the kingdom of God. 
And so it's, it's definitely not law observance that merits um, our acceptance with God. And we need to keep saying that. Come empty-handed to Jesus like children, and he saves us. And of course, as the gospel goes on, Jesus, it becomes more and more clear that the disciples don't clear the bar and Jesus has to die for them. And you know, same for us. We So it's like you must keep the law, but you can't keep the law. And we just don't want to soften the must because you really you must. But, you know, rightly, a hero of the podcast would think, but I can't. And you're right that you can't. So must and can't is a pretty scary combination because it's not like you can say, oh, I'm not very good at the divorce command, so I'm just going to not bother with it. I'm just going to, you know, break my marriage and that'll be fine because the Bible warns us that adulterers won't inherit the kingdom of God. Or you can't just say, oh, I don't really, you know, I'm not very good at the um, not loving money command, so <clears throat> I won't worry about that one. And Jesus says, no, no, you know, you can't serve God and money. You'll hate the one or love the other. You know, So... These commands, you really have to keep them. But we're right when we think, but I really can't keep them. So this is the chasm between what God requires and what we're able to do that results in this cry, who can be saved? You know, with man, it's impossible. So absolutely, Jesus is going to need to intervene in grace and we're going to need his death on the cross. But not in a way that sets aside the requirement, oh, don't worry about divorce or don't worry about money but in a way that upholds it. God's standards are so high that something has to be done to pay if you've fallen short of them. Yeah. And the full resolution of this awaits next Grace Pod, actually. So we're going to see when we get to Bartimaeus, um, the full picture. Um, But for now, the, the real comfort is verse 27. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So there is a way that God can enable what would otherwise be impossible. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we've already seen that with the man, with the um, boy, with the terrible demon, who says, you know, if you can help Jesus, if it's possible for you to help Jesus. And Jesus, if you can, all things are possible for one who has faith, one who believes. And that's the clue. I think we've already seen that clue that for those who trust in Jesus, and it's going to entail those who trust Jesus, his death on the cross to ransom them, those who trust Jesus, the transforming work of his spirit to change them. But with the gospel, this is possible. So what is the thing that he's requiring of the rich man that then a disciple actually can do? Well, I guess it's the same as 834. It's to take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's to um, put Jesus first. And, and it's actually interesting in the context that um, Jesus lists commandments from the second table, murder, adultery, steal, from the second set of five. And second table of the Ten Commandments, you mean, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And then when he says, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, it seems that, given the context is the Ten Commandments, he seems to be saying, put God first. Um, mm. And so he's, he's not saying... Um, Jesus isn't producing a new way of coming to God where you don't have to put God first. But he's saying you will find this hard and you need a miracle before you can do it. Yes. And then it seems in the context he finds it hard to put God first because he has a lot of money. So is, is this about money? Is it, He's a rich man. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person 
to enter the kingdom of God. And then, you know, then it becomes more general. Who can be saved? Well, with men, it's impossible, generally. But it starts specifically with a rich person. And I guess there's a certain context which is interesting here because um, they were exceedingly astonished in verse 26 when they heard that a rich person couldn't enter. So they thought if anyone could get in, it would be this guy, blessed by God, serious about religion. Um, And then Jesus ends by saying, verse 31, many who are first will be last and the last first. And so Jesus seems to be saying look, the people who you think it will be easy to follow me the rich young man, no, he's going to find it very, very difficult. Um, in fact, impossible. Um, but people like the children who you think, well, they, they'd never make the bar. Um, the last will be first. They come uh, with nothing to commend themselves and they're straight in. And it is interesting, this, um, I think it's just observably true that rich people find it harder to follow Jesus than the destitute do. And by rich people, I mean almost everyone listening to this podcast like if you know I, well, I don't actually I don't know that I don't know who's listening but in in the UK by global standards we are all super rich and um by comparison with the people Jesus was talking to who were on a you know, subsistence economy the day's wage for a day's food we're all super rich so we, I don't think we should think oh yeah the, the, those fat cat oil company barons or something Jesus warns them I think it, he warns us and I wonder whether you know you look at the west in our, you know, in our prosperity, we're very hard-hearted to God. We don't think we need him as a culture. And you look at parts of the world where there's enormous poverty and, and people trust God. And so I think it, it is, he's not saying every rich person is doomed, but he's saying there's something about being materially self-sufficient or you think you're materially, materially self-sufficient that blinds you to your need of Jesus. And I think that's still, that's still true today. Yeah. And there's a, a beautiful way that Jesus ends this passage, which tells us that it's a great, been a great comfort to many people. And um, Jesus says, whoever has left house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And this is so lovely because Jesus is saying, He's previously said there will be rewards in heaven. Just keep your head down. It'll be okay. And now he's giving us a new element to this teaching that even in this age, there will be great blessing and even the sort of blessing of the sort that we have lost. And um, I think this is really um, precious that Christian community, so many people, when they turn to Christ, um, if they're not literally disowned by friends and family um, friends and family become cold to them they feel like an alien in their own context mm. and Jesus says well don't worry uh, there'll be new brothers sisters mothers children and and I guess if you're a Christian you know that experience you mm. you know people who ordinarily you would have nothing in common with but they treat you as brother and sister and share with you um, just because you belong to Christ and that is the the wonderful pro- um, offer of the gospel that Jesus lays out here that even in this age there is wonderful blessing hmm. so the invitation is if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me and the extra element is and you don't have to wait until the last day before the compensation you 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 receive now in this life a hundred times what you lost with persecutions so this is not the prosperity gospel it's like yeah it'll be hard but with great blessing 
and in the age to come eternal life. Yeah, and if, if the question is, is this passage to promote despair or hope, the answer is yes. <laughs> um, if you're a, a, a rich young man, um, then it will probably be a discouraging uh, passage. But if you're a, a sinner with nothing to offer God, a little child, then this is a wonderful comfort. Hmm. And we hope you've enjoyed Grace Pod. And if you know, if our take on Mark Ten has been controversial, do get in touch with us. I, um, in the book, dig deeper into the Gospels. I set out the same sort of thing and some reasons so if you get hold of that it might help but we'd be happy to get an email or interact with you Uh, do share this if you found it helpful and um, subscribe yourself and see you next time thank you for listening to grace pod for more information about grace church greenwich visit www.greenwich.church